0: Hey, welcome to our series, Problem of God, where we're answering big questions about faith. Is God real? Is Jesus the son of God? Is the Bible really God's word? We hope you'll join us for each and every one of these discussions as we continue traveling through Acts. Before you log off, don't forget to fill out that connection card. You can do it at branchlife.church and stay through the end of the talk today where I've got some more important information for you. We hope that this series helps answer some of life's big questions and thanks again for joining us for the problem of God. that you've joined us today as we're continuing through our series called The Problem of God, and we're quickly wrapping this up. We have just a couple weeks left in this series, then we'll be launching into a new series, then it'll be summer. And uh, we hope that you guys will continue joining us all along the way. If, you, if this is your first time with us, I particularly want to say welcome to you. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life. You've met some of the other pastors uh, through, the, through the baby dedication. It's your job to figure out who's the most adorable. Uh, you can just let us know on your connection card, and uh, we would appreciate that. Uh, you're, you, we'd love to hear from you guys, and we just ask everyone to check in every week on those connection cards, and so if you haven't done that yet, or if you're in the process of doing that, please do that, and after the service, you can drop that in every, any one of the offering boxes on your way out, and uh, we're, we're, we're very delighted uh, to get those connection points each and every week, and we, some, we see some incredible praises and some incredible stories being told uh, through those cards, so thank you for everyone checking in in those ways. And as we mentioned, for moms, we have a gift for you. Uh, There's some flowers and chocolate for each of the moms that you can grab uh, on your way out from our greeters, and if this is your first time with us and you haven't yet got an Acts journal, please grab one of those, our gift to you. You can follow along, even if you're just passing by, we'd still love for you to have the Acts journal. If you're able to return, bring it with you, because we are traveling through Acts, and like I said, we will finish the book of Acts before the summer, and uh, so we're excited about that. Today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. So, in the journals, Acts chapter 15 starts on page 86. And uh, you can run there with us to page 86. We've been through this entire series thinking about uh, the problem of God. And through the story of Acts, God has started the church through Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Acts of the Apostles is then the launching of this thing called the church. And so, the Apostles, particularly in this case, Barnabas and and Paul are going around and they're talking to people about the good news of Jesus Christ and how they can follow Christ. And so in a lot of ways, they've been spending the last several uh, seasons, last several chapters convincing people to stop believing whatever it is they used to believe and start believing in Jesus. That's no small task. And as they did this, they were asked the questions that all of us ask, the questions that skeptics ask. How do you know God is real? How can you prove that Jesus really is the Son of God? Uh, what about suffering and evil? Next week we're going to talk about the problem of the supernatural. You want to avoid? You want to avoid that? You want to come to that conversation? And and we're continuing answering these questions that all of us have had through all of time. Maybe you yourself are asking some of these questions. Maybe you know someone asking these questions. And we want to invite everyone to be a part of this conversation. These questions aren't new. But if God exists, right? If God's out there, if God, if Jesus really is the Son of God, if if there is such a thing called sin, if there is such a thing called miracles, then, then man, we if we don't follow that, if we don't believe that, if we don't understand that, we've got a problem. And today we're talking about one of the most important objections or one of the most important things that keep people from connecting to Jesus. And that is, believe it or not, the problem of religion. The problem of religion. How many of you with your moms here today, you grew up in a house where you have some traditions of your own? Raise your hand. There's traditions. Maybe you're going to have some Mother's Day traditions, Easter traditions. Maybe someone, certain person, makes the, puts the star on top of the Christmas tree. Maybe there's a certain dish that gets served uh, during different meals. One of our traditions in our home is uh, if it's your birthday, you get the birthday plate. And the birthday plate is blue, and it says it's your birthday, and it's the only time of year you get to eat off of that plate, and we put that tradition out. It becomes very important. We've trained our kids, right, to get mad and aggressive if the plate doesn't appear on their birthday. Because if you break a tradition, right, that's obviously a problem. And, and what we have in our world is we have a lot of traditions, we have a lot of religions out there, and all these religions are saying different things. And a lot of times you're introduced to your first religion or your first faith tradition in your home Uh, you could now hear about it on the internet or on the news and you will quickly realize that there's a lot of branches of faith there's a lot of religions they're all saying different things and how in the world am I supposed to wade through the waters of figuring out if any of these are right and if so which one is right some people have gone to the conclusion we're stopped going to try and figure this out and we're just going to say everybody's right you all have your own path to whatever the right destination is and can that be correct? Where are people getting their information? What are they basing their beliefs on? How do we know that it's true? That's the problem of religion. Now, if you survey, folks out there in one of our major survey people did, I don't remember if this was the Wall Street Journal or Time Magazine, it might have been USA Today, but they came up with this number that 46% of people believe that religion is a major, major part of the problems in this world. That because of religion, we've got more problems. There's more bad than good that's happening out there. And you might find it interesting to believe that I'm in the 46%. I agree with the statement. I actually am wondering to myself, who are the other 54%? Right? How do we not recognize that religion has caused some major problems in our world, like, like terrorism? Yeah? All in the name of religion, all in the name of faith, all in the name of God. Like People are doing horrible things in the name of religion to their brothers, their sisters, their family members. And there's, there's a lot of turmoil out there, and, and religion becomes a problem. And people will look at me, and they'll say, they'll say I'm, my name's Josh. They'll say, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And immediately, I am branded as religious. I take offense to that. <laughs> I don't like being called a religious person. And I think that there's another guy that would agree with this too, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus was the most anti-religious founder of any religion. He didn't like the idea of religion. He spoke against it. He attacked it. He went after it. The angriest that you see Jesus in the Bible is when he is going after the religious, the people that are following a system. When he's going after spreaders of lies and false teaching when he when he confronts this he confronts this with full fury Jesus was not a fan and is not a fan of religion neither is John Lennon he wrote a famous song imagine there's no countries right it's not hard to do imagine there's no something something and no religion too right and then imagine if that's true, then we'll all be at peace. Now, I can go John Lennon's route, or I can go Jesus' route, and I think I'm going to go with Jesus. Here's why. Most of us in trying to figure out our religious system, our religious beliefs, are, are going with how we grew up, we're going with our community around us, we're going with the best argument that we can find on the internet. We're going with a mentor or a teacher that invested in us, and we all have to ask ourselves, what am I going to found my faith on? Have you ever thought about where different religions come from? They come from all over the place. Some of them come from sacred writings. Well, where'd the writings come from? Some of them come from people who are long dead. Well, where did those people come from? Where did their authority come from? Some of them come from just developing over time. Who's to say they're right? Well, there was this guy who showed up on planet Earth and he claimed to be the son of God. And he predicted that he would die and that he would raise again from the dead. Then something incredible happened. He actually pulled it off, right? The guy who came and said he was God and said he would die and said he would raise from the dead Did he rose from the dead? I'm gonna go with that guy, right? I'm gonna follow that guy. He's gonna be someone I'm gonna lean into and listen to. And throughout the book of Acts, what everybody is saying in the book of Acts, what Paul is saying, what Barnabas is saying, what Peter is saying, what James is saying, and all of the other apostles, they're saying, I'm gonna go with that guy. I'm gonna follow that guy. He's gonna be the one I put my faith in. He's gonna be the one. Who, I, who has authority in my life. And so if I'm following Jesus, well, what does that then do to religion? And what is the problem then with religion? Why did Jesus, why was Jesus anti-religious? We come to Acts chapter 15, and we have one of the most pivotal chapters in the book of Acts in the story of the church. This is an extremely important chapter, and what happens in this chapter is faith in Jesus faces its first confrontation not from without but from within. You know, up till chapter 15, the apostles that were going around talking about who Jesus was, telling people to abandon their other religions, and of course, other religious leaders didn't like that, and of course they got attacked. But but now from within the realm of Jesus' followers, within the realm of religious connection to Christ, there rose a schism, there rose a division, there rose a difference of opinion. So much so that in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, starting in, uh, I think starting on page 86, to sum it up for you, the church in Jerusalem, or the, the Jews in Jerusalem, sent missionaries to Antioch and the towns where Paul and Barnabas were spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, where thousands and thousands of people were coming to Christ, where Gentiles and Jews were getting saved, Romans and and centurions and jailers were getting saved, all kinds of people were were coming to Christ, they were following Jesus and they were getting very excited about this. Somebody back in Jerusalem said, oh no, no, this can't be right, those people need to follow our rules in order to become one of us. And they sent missionaries, quote unquote, religious embassaries to these new churches and started saying, You're not really in yet unless you do X, Y, and Z. Well, Paul and Barnabas strongly disagreed with this. And there there became this huge debate that started raging amongst those that would claim to know and follow Jesus, and so much so that Paul and Barnabas take their first trip in years back to Jerusalem, and they convene a council to solve this major schism and this major issue. At this council, in Acts chapter 15, we learn a little bit about the new leadership of the church. Some people claim that Peter was the first great leader of the church as a matter of fact Jesus said to Peter before he left on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it so people say Peter is the one who God's building the church on we learn in Acts chapter 15 that Peter is not in charge we learn in Acts chapter 15 that Paul and Barnabas are not in charge but there's an interesting character that rises to the surface he's the final one to speak in other words he's the final authority in this particular matter as they're trying to resolve it and his name is James. Now James is not the apostle James. We actually know from earlier in Acts the apostle James was already murdered. He was already martyred. This James is the brother of Jesus. James the brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph has now become a leader within the church. He's leading the church of Jerusalem. He's leading kind of the worldwide efforts to spread the gospel, and he becomes the final authority. Now, how, what would it take to convince you if, that your brother or sister was the savior of the world, right? Like, what would, seriously, what would you have to know in order to believe that your brother and sister was the savior of the world? Somehow, James became convinced that his brother, technically half-brother, Jesus was the Messiah, and I, I don't think it was because Jesus was so good. That would just tick James off, right? Why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? I, I don't think it's because Jesus and James probably sat down and had these huge long discussions and, and Jesus, with his words, convinced him. There's really nothing my brother could say to me to make me think he was the Savior of the world. I think it's because Jesus rose from the dead. I think it's because James, like the other apostles, saw Jesus alive, saw him crucified, saw him killed, and then saw him alive again. And he had to say, James had to say, that's special. That's of God. That's somebody I can put my faith and trust in. That's someone I can devote my life to. That's my Lord and Savior, not just my brother. And James became the leading proponent of Jesus Christ as Lord. James stands up and he after much discussion, resolves the schism. And basically, what James says, and what we're going to learn, is he says, we're going to set religion aside. We're not, we're not going to burden ourselves with a religion. We're going to lean into our relationship with Jesus. And so today, in Acts chapter 15, we want to look at some things. Uh, what, we want to look at what's wrong with religion. Here's the first thing that we're going to see in Acts chapter 15. The first thing that's wrong with religion is religion never never saved anyone. I, I want to say this out loud together, right? I want you to repeat this. Let's read this together. Religion never saved anyone. So many people are putting their faith and trust in their religion to save them. So many people are hoping that the rituals that they go through, that the the repeated effort to do better, to be better, to do good, to be good, to please a God, to to live a better life, to go through some man-made steps and hoops and hurdles in order to somehow have a better life or a better afterlife in the end, and they're hoping that their religion is going to save them. There has never been and there never will be a religion that can ever save anyone. In Acts chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 it says this, but some men came down from Judea where they were teaching the brothers and they said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you Gentiles, Romans, Philippian jailers, you cannot be saved. And after, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Here here comes the religious people, and they're coming up to people who are starting to follow Jesus in droves, and they're saying, hold on, you need to have major surgery in order to follow Jesus. And so dad is driving his his brand new saved family to church, and they're driving to church, and and they're getting to church, and they see these new missionaries that are having this new message, and he goes, honey, you and the kids go in. I'm going to think about this for a while. (laughs) I'm not sure if this is a religion for me or if this is a faith for me. They started putting this burden on Gentiles to say, hey, you have to go through this religious custom. You have to go through this religious system in order to become a follower of Jesus. And what did Paul and Barnabas say right away? Hold on. Just wait. Let's not start adding things to salvation. Now, when you look at the marketplace of religions out there, and you're trying to decide what religion is right, where is the truth, where does their foundation come from, you have got to ask yourself, on what basis does this religion teach salvation? How are people saved in this faith system? And quickly, you will find yourself a divide. Some people say Christianity or belief in Jesus is just like any other religion. It's just like any other faith. They're all the same. There's really no difference. I want to say to you right now that there's a major difference between following Jesus and following any other religion. Every other religion says you do it. Faith in Jesus says it's done. Every other religion says that you've got to work for it. You've got to please someone. You've got to give your effort, and your salvation depends on you. Following faith in Jesus says your salvation doesn't depend on you at all. It depends 100% on the person of Jesus. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save. And Jesus came down not to create a new religion for all of us to choose from. Jesus came down to create for us an opportunity to have a relationship with God. Let me say it this way. A religion about God is a very different thing than a relationship with God. A religion about God is a very different thing than a relationship with God. And I think when you think of faith in Jesus as a relationship and not as a religion, it's going to totally transform your lives. It's gonna transform your homes, it's gonna transform your heart, it's gonna transform your week, it's gonna transform your your goals, it's gonna transform your emotions, it's gonna transform everything about you, the relationships that you're a part of, because the key relationship, being able to have a relationship with God Almighty is one of the most special things that there is out there. Going through religious motions, well that's just exhausting. Going through religious burden, going through the carrying all the stuff I have to do, and so people will go, because of religion, to a worship service, they'll go to a a, a temple, they'll go to a synagogue, they'll go to a church building and they'll think they're doing something that pleases God. They're just doing it because they want to gain favor uh, with God and they're not doing it because they want to know God more and then they go on with the rest of their week or the rest of their life or the rest of their decisions and God's not a part of it. I've done my religious thing for the week or for the year or for the day and now I'm going to do me. When you follow Jesus, you have the opportunity to have nothing—something that no religion offers—and that's a relationship with God Himself. In Ephesians chapter two, eight and nine, it says this: For by grace you have been saved through what? What's the word? Faith, Faith. not of your own doing, not of works, not of religion. It is a gift of God not a result of work so that nobody can boast you can't be good enough you can't be religious enough you can't be nice enough you can't do enough penance you can't pay enough money you can't get baptized enough times you can't go to church enough times to get saved there's no work that you can do to save yourself the only thing you can do for salvation is to put your faith in jesus for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's how it works. And Jesus came to, to seek and to save that which was lost. And he wants to help lost people be found. And when lost people are found, they become a part of this thing called the church. And the church is not a religious institution. The church is not a worship service. The church is not a hierarchy. The church is not a, a, a system in any way, shape, or form. The church is a body of believers that comes together to love Jesus greater, to love neighbors greater. We come together as the church because we once were lost, but now we're found. And we worship And we pray. We don't come to church. We don't come to worship to talk about God. We don't come to to worship to learn about God. We don't come uh, to worship to kind of tickle our ears and, and to have a nice experience to make it about ourselves. We come to worship to be with God. We come to connect to God. We come to connect others to God. We come to hear from him. We come to to worship him, to glorify him, and to lift him higher. It's all about the relationship that we have with him. It's not about God. It's about being with God. Religion has never and will never save anyone. If you're depending on the faith of your fathers, the religion of your upbringing, the traditions of this world, the systems that have been invented by mankind to save you, Today, I want to say, set all that aside and just start believing and following Jesus. Come to the arms of your Savior. Abandon religion and embrace a relationship with Jesus. That's the message that Paul and Barnabas were spreading all over Acts, all over the known world. The second thing that's wrong with religion is this. Religion tends to elevate tradition over truth. It is very easy for religion to elevate tradition over truth. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 10-11... When they were at the tribunal, they had gotten together down in Jerusalem. Peter was there, James was there, Paul and Barnabas were there, all these other religious leaders were there. Peter said, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Why are you making it harder to follow Jesus? Why are you making it more difficult to come to know God? Why are you adding things to the word of God? Why are you adding things to the relationship with God? Why are you making it so hard? We haven't been able to follow this, let alone new people coming to know Jesus. Being religious is exhausting. There's a lot that people expect of you in religious settings. And even even if you want to kind of narrow it down and say, I'm I, any, any religion that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus, now, now there's a whole bunch of religions that would claim Jesus as the founder of their faith, yet they all have their kind of different ways their different sects and we're going to talk about that in this, in this next discussion. Uh, the, there's, there's these additions that keep getting made, and in, in, in Christendom, in those of us that would call us Christianity, there has been a divide between Protestant and Catholic for a long time. And that divide happened over a period called the uh, Reformation, where people were saying, I think think you're adding, I think you're making it more difficult, I think you're putting more stuff on faith in Jesus than actually Jesus puts on faith in Jesus. Now, if you have any questions about Mary, James is the guy to ask, right? (laughs) James, the brother of Jesus, he, he he knew all about Mary. That was his mom. And he could tell you exactly who she was. His mom. And nowhere in Scripture does Mary get elevated to any special standing other than the gift that she gave us, the person of Jesus, and the faith that she had. But somewhere in our tradition, it became a part of tradition, it became a part of religion, that in religion, certain saints, certain individuals, certain characters become elevated. There's certain requirements that are added, and all of a sudden, these traditions get elevated higher and above where they're supposed to be and then they get higher and elevated even over truth itself in their discussion they said hey let's be careful let's not place a yoke on people that's more difficult to follow Jesus but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will see salvation is the same for everyone everywhere God simply put it out that following Jesus is literally happens for the same same person everywhere, everywhere every way, in every system, and we're not supposed to start adding things to that. That God simply requires faith. Period, to follow Jesus. Uh, you may notice here at Branch, I am terrified of tradition. I am terrified of uh, ritual. I kind of get allergic to it. Now, I'm not against rituals. I'm not against tradition. But here's here's my challenge with rituals. Religion requires inward rules and rituals. God requires all-out love for God and others. So many religions put the burden on you to follow certain rules, to follow certain rituals, and to follow certain traditions so that you can gain favor with God or their version of God, so that somehow you can have a better life. And at some point, a lot of these rules and rituals were probably well-intentioned, powerful, meaningful, carried some weight to them, and they were so powerful, and so meaningful, and so special for that culture, for that time, for that season, for that church, whatever, for that community, that it got elevated to to above truth that ritual became tradition that tradition then became sacred and now if we don't do it if we don't do it that way it's not right something's wrong and we start adding to faith these rules and these rituals. I was a, I was, for years, I was a part of church that did communion the same way every time we did communion. They did it on the same. They did it the first Sunday of every month. They had the same set of communion dishes. They had the same table, table that came out. It had the same words in front of it. They had certain men that were kind of... Uh, given the power to be the communion hander outers and nobody else could do it but those guys and they had to hand it out in a certain way and you had to you had to pray a certain prayer hand it out in a certain way sing a certain number of songs and you went you literally did the same way month after month after month after month after month well a new pastor came to this church we for for decades and decades long before I was there they were doing communion the same way time and time and time again and when he came he we had been cutting up bread and putting it in there and then everyone was getting the bread. Well, he was like, you know what? so much simpler? Just buy crackers. And he said, we're just going to get crackers. Well, well he ch- without telling anybody, he changed communion because he changed it from bread to crackers. You should have seen the faces in the crowd. What is this? I have never seen one of these before, right? Something's changed. And they looked up, not happy, not thrilled with the opportunity to explore something new, but it disgusted. Where's my bread? What have you done with my precious bread? And then, and then they, they ate it, right? I, I remember after the service was over, after the communion was over, and it was funny. I'm like, I, I actually knew a couple days before he was going to change the bread. I'm like, oh, you're going to change the bread. Good luck with that. And after it was over, this lady made a beeline right for the pastor and came up to him. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly what she said. You have ruined communion. Ritual, got elevated above truth. What's the truth of communion? The truth of the communion is simply this. It's an opportunity to remind ourselves that we are sinners and we must examine ourselves. To remind ourselves that Jesus died and his blood was spilled and his body was broken so that my sins could be forgiven. And I'm supposed to remember that when I participate in communion. And now, in that remembrance, I then proclaim unity in the body of Christ because of the broken body of Jesus. And if I want to split hairs with people based on bread versus crackers, I have elevated a ritual higher than it is ever supposed to go, and I have completely abandoned the meaning of the sacrament and the practice. But don't we do that all the time? You didn't sing the way I wanted you to sing. You weren't dressed the way you are supposed to be dressed for that particular moment, for that particular time. You, you, uh, you, we always have done it that way, so we're always going to have to do it that way. And if you're not careful, you can allow religious ritual to creep in, and religious ritual is always aimed inward. It's always for you. It's always for how you feel, to make you feel better, for you to be comfortable, for you to have some, some system, for you to have some repetitive, some predictability in your life. Who wants to come where there's nothing can be predictable? And we, we, we gravitate towards ritual and tradition because it makes us feel nice. Well, God didn't give us faith in Jesus so that we could be comfortable. God gave us fe- faith in Jesus so that we could storm the gates of hell. The reason that God wants us to have Uh, times of communion together, the reason God wants us to worship together, the reason God prescribes any activity that he does is so that we can better love God and love others. As a matter of fact... He's, he was asked, What are the most important rules? What are the most important rituals? And, and Jesus answered this question. You've heard it said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. So if you want a rule to follow, if you want a ritual to follow, simply do this love God. Love with all your heart, love with all your strength, love with all your mind. I heard someone describe loving God with all your strength like this for God, you're going to have to sweat, you're going to have to get to work. You're going to have to do some hard things. That's loving God with all your strength. You're going to have to love God with all your mind, with all your emotion. That's, that's a ginormous task, right? So let's go all in after loving God. And then he said, that's the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to go after loving others. I want you to spread the love of Jesus by loving your neighbor, by loving your neighborhood, by loving your community, by loving your state, your town, by loving other countries. I want you to love other people as I have loved you. Well, that's a massive task. He said, I know. That's all the rules I'm going to give you. That's it. All the, on these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. If you can do those two things, I don't got to tell you anything else. You'll, you'll figure it out. Why? you're not gonna love your neighbor and murder them. You're not gonna love your neighbor and steal from them. You're not gonna love your neighbor and lie about them and talk about them behind your backs. You're not gonna love God and abandon the Sabbath. You're not gonna love God and elevate money above him. You're not gonna love God and worship some other created being. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself, you don't need a rule book. You don't need a guidebook. You are doing it. You're in relationship with God. Because God so loved the world, you can now love others the way God loved. In James chapter 1, verse 27, again, the brother of Jesus, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself abstained from the world. He just re this. It's not about the world. I'm not supposed to love the world. I'm supposed to love God. And when I love God... I love others. I love people and I want to meet needs. And I want to go after those babies that need care. I want to go after those those women that are alone. I want to be a part of bringing justice and righteousness to this world. In the book of Amos, God went so far as to say to his chosen people, Israel, I hate and I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your strained instruments, but let justice rain down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. What I want from you, people of God, is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Righteousness. And what I want for you to love people as yourself, justice. Treat others justly in this world. And if you're not doing those things, don't even bother with the rest of it. It doesn't matter. See, God cares about the way we love each other and the way that we love him. That's why Jesus didn't like religion. The third reason Jesus didn't like religion is because religion leads to division, not to unity. Religion leads to division, not to unity. Now, In Acts chapter 15 and 39, they had resolved the matter, and as a matter of fact, to not confuse them, James and Peter sent Barnabas and Paul back to Antioch, they sent some witnesses back to Antioch, and they sent a letter, you can read all about that in Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to share with you the result of that letter in a second, and so they did this great work, they brought the believers of Jesus back together, they got everybody on the same page about a relationship with God versus religious activities, and yet even Barnabas and Paul found themselves in sharp disagreement at the, act, at the end of Acts 17. There, was, there, was, there arose a sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul, so much so that they separated from each other. This powerful duo of Paul and Barnabas found a reason to divide. It was a practical disagreement that they had about different personalities they wanted to be on their team. And we will probably look at this a little bit a different way. But but they divided. And if Paul and Barnabas can divide, let me just tell you, division's easy. Division happens to all of us. Division can creep in to even the closest relationships. Marriages, you got to fight to stay together and stay unified. It's so easy to divide parents with your kids, you've got to fight for unity. Why? Because it's so easy to divide. It's so easy to, to get your feelings hurt. It's so easy to think that you have a better way or a smarter way. It's so easy to say you're right and they're wrong. It's so easy to feel disrespected or to be let down. It's so easy to allow any one of those things to come in and you just say in that relationship, fine, we're done. You go your way and I'll go my way. We're not going to be able to work this out. Now enter into that The incredibly divisive topic of religion, and man, oh man, is there division all over the place. Because of religion, we have some extreme divisions in our world and in our culture. One of the opportunities that we have here at Branch Life Church is is we, we have a set system of doctrines, right, of beliefs that we think are essential, we think are fundamental, we think are super clear in scripture. And where God is clear, we are clear. And we're able to put down what God says. And if God says it, I'm believing it, I'm following it, that's the way that I'm going to go. I'm not deviating from it. And if someone does want to go against the truth of God, well, then we have to talk about how much we need to be together and how much we need to be apart. That's, that's a real thing. But so many churches and so many churches that have a like faith in the essentials, The essentials being who is God, who is Jesus, is the Bible the word of God, are you saved by grace and grace alone, those essentials. People who have full agreement on those will have a disagreement in areas where Scripture's not clear, in areas where scripture doesn't have a a direct answer, where really smart spiritual people disagree. And because really smart spiritual people disagree, they'll raise that disagreement and they'll say, well, if you think that and I think this, we we can't hang out. But you're both brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, no, we've got to split apart. And what happens with religion is religion is great at separation and isolation. Jesus is great at unity and community. You see, every relationship is going to tend towards division. Even amongst the body of Christ. God knows this. And so he says to us, I want you to follow the example of Jesus who stood on very firm ground on very firm and important things, but who also gave us a great example of how to unify, how to love, and how to build community. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling, one Lord, one faith, one and one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What does he say to us? He says, brothers and sisters, fight for unity. Fight for unity. And if we can be unified in this world where division is rampant, that is a light in a dark place that other people will see. That's a testimony, that's a word that people are gonna talk about and if we can be an example of a, a unifying church, a unifying people that brings people together, not pushing and dividing and, and, and kicking people away, if we can be an example of that in this culture where you vote for some way, you're out of here. You think a certain way, you're out of here. You have a certain amount of income, I don't want to sew it with you. Your skin's a certain color, I don't want to hang out with you. no, If we can say, no, 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 we're going to find reasons to unify, not reasons to divide, that's going to be strange. And if you are the light of the world, you're especially powerful in dark places. And so let's let's fight for unity in the name of a relationship with God, not in the name of being right and other people being wrong. You see, here's the dangers of religion. The dangers of religion are first, it, it causes us to have misplaced faith. We start saying, it's my work that saves. Religion can start causing us to have an inward focus. It's my way. It's my want. It's my will. And religion can cause us to have a lack of unity, my way or the highway. Jesus was the most anti-religious founder of any religion. And so our response to the problem of religion can simply be this. First, let's have a greater faith in Jesus versus having a misplaced faith. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, today I want to invite you to do just that. To stop depending on the religion of your fathers or your forefathers. To stop depending on good works or giving money or being baptized. But put your faith and trust alone in Jesus for salvation. Place your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. If If you're ready to do that, you can simply have this conversation with God in the quietness of this moment. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus is your son. He died on the cross and he rose again for me. And today, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. Today, I want to accept the free gift of salvation. If that's, if that's you, if that's your decision that you're making today, man, we celebrate this decision to put your faith in Jesus. And maybe, maybe you've had Jesus in the equation of your religion, but it's been more about religious activity and less about a relationship. Go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Start, stop making it about God and start making it about being with God and partnering with God. The second thing we need to do is we need to focus on them versus focusing on me. We need to go into all the world and make disciples. We need to make sure that we are removing obstacles so that people can come to salvation. The Jewish religion was trying to add obstacles to the Gentiles coming to Christ. And James said in James chapter 15, no, let's remove the obstacles for these people that are coming to Christ. Let's not add to the burden. We need to make it about them. And so there's some preferences that you might need to give up. There's some comfort that you might need to let go of. There are some things that you you think are important that you've been raising to a high level because this, that's the way it's always been. Or you need to say, no, I'm just going to let that go. Why? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of making disciples so that more people can come to know Jesus. Focus on them. Don't focus on me. And then the the third thing we need to do in in our reaction to, to religion is have greater unity. To have greater unity, to fight for the brotherhood of believers versus having a greater divide. Let's find out how and when we can come together to do the will of the Lord. We do these things. The response will be the same as it was in Acts chapter 15. And when they went back to Antioch, having gathered the congregation together, they delivered them this letter, this letter of unity. And they said, uh, when they had read it, they, the new Christians, rejoiced because of its encouragement. When we do this right, right, when we dive into our relationship with Jesus, it ultimately results in us encouraging one another in our faith. We are better together, we're stronger together, and we will be able to excel in a greater way in life, life eternal and life everlasting, because we've deepened our relationship with Jesus, not because we become more religious. If you have any questions about your own personal faith and salvation After the service, some of our prayer team members will be here, but we also have this website that you can go to at any time. And if there's anything that we can be praying for you for, we want to invite you to that prayer time after the service. And come back next week as we dive into the problem of the supernatural. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, as we uh, think about you on this Mother's Day, we thank you, uh, God. We thank you for the gifts of moms. We thank you for the gift of new life. We thank you for, uh, God, the, the many children that get to bless our worship times, Lord, where we get to hear their, their cries and their, their screams of joy. God, where they, where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've pledged today, would you help us to be a church that always defends, protects, and encourages our children. Would you, all, would you help us to be a, a church where kids grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, where they love the family of God, and where they can grow in their faith, grow in their relationships with you and with others, where they can know love and be loved. And Lord, we thank you for these kids as they, they make us whole, a more complete body. And Lord, as we, as we look at this grand problem of religion that's been around for centuries and will probably continue to be around for centuries. God, would you help us understand your teaching and help us understand how to attack this problem head on? Would you help us to have a deeper faith in Jesus? Lord, would you help us to have a focus on those that need Christ? And God, would you give us greater unity within the body? In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening through this talk in our Problem of God series. And we hope that the discussion today helped answer some questions that you might have about faith and that you've taken a step further in your spiritual journey. Before you go, make sure to fill out your connection card at branchlife.church. We'd love to know that you joined us through this video session today. And if you have any questions about what we covered, that's the place to ask those questions. We hope that you'll join us again next time And thanks again for being a part of this series.